Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, uh, I actually was putting together a page this morning that I thought was pretty important, and it had to do with what was in the news. But I'm also going to incorporate it into our series on law, on freedom of speech, on the conversation of a Christian with the world. Because Paul talks about our conversation with the world and our conversation in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And that conversation, he, he there's five different words in the New Testament that are translated into the single English word conversation. And so clearly the author's uh, sometimes speaking specifically of Paul, was thinking something slightly different than what you might be thinking when you say the word conversation today. And the same thing we saw with the word world. We see five different words in the Greek text that are all translated into the single English word world. Well, the authors meant more than what you might think when we say the word world today. So when you're reading the Bible, reading the context of the Bible, you will read these words and you will think certain ideas because words are symbols of ideas and those ideas may be in conformity with Paul and the apostles and with Jesus Christ because Christ uses the same words for world. He uses a couple different words for world that don't mean the same thing. They mean something quite different. When he says, my kingdom's not of this world, he was very specific in the word that he used and in the location of the word in the context of the gospel. And if you don't know what that difference is, you could be misled by the knowledge that other men put into your head, <laughs> which, which may or may not be accurate knowledge. And that's what we see all the time. And I'm going to talk about false prophets and the prophets of the beast and, uh, and you know, the uh, different uh, false doctrines that are floating around out there under the guise of being Christian doctrines. And they're not Christian doctrines. They're far from Christ. Now, I can say that. You don't necessarily have to believe that. But if I give you evidence to believe that, you might consider that what I'm saying is true, and what you and if, even if it contradicts what you already believed, and if it contradicts what you already believe, you owe it to Christ. You owe it to God Himself to examine what you already believed or, or, or were led to believe, and see. Does this really fit with what Jesus Christ is saying? Because this is a common problem today in the world and leading to all the problems you probably just heard about if you were listening to the news before uh, the show began. There's all kinds of problems out there. 
and there's problems with the economy and problems with corruption and problems with perception and delusions and mass formations of psychosis. And all these problems are related to the fact that we don't necessarily want to see the truth. And that, that's been a debate since the beginning of man. Even Pontius Pilate asked, what is the truth? Jesus says, I am the truth. But I know a guy down the road, he's a really nice guy, and his name is Jesus, but he's not the truth, he's just a really nice guy. So, you, when I say Jesus, what Jesus are you thinking of? You're thinking about Jesus Christ. Are, you, are your thoughts about Jesus Christ clear? Are they accurate? Are, are they reasonable? Are they the truth? Uh, or have you been misled? And just Jesus Christ himself warned us over and over again about the fact that many would come claiming to be in his, coming in his name, that they would be of the Christ, of the anointing of Christ, of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's what Christ means anointing. So they say false Christ. They're saying false anointed. People who say they're anointed, people who are believed to be anointed by many people, but they are not anointed by God. They are not anointed by that Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, they are actually prophets of the beast. They're prophets of the unholy spirit that dwells in the beast and dwells in the image of the beast. And we need to take a look at what we believe on a regular basis, as a matter of ritual and habit, we need to take a look at what we believe to be true to find out, to examine, to question, to ponder, is what we believe to be true actually true? Or is it possibly completely false and leading us to a strong delusion? So, one of the things that came up just uh, in the last week, because it was an election week in, in the United States. Uh, it was an election week in the state of Oregon. And, you know, it doesn't really matter if we're in Oregon or if we're in Pennsylvania or if we're in Florida or if we're in Australia. Uh, there are people that have elections. They have elections in the Soviet Union. They have elections in China. And uh, they don't worry so much about voter fraud because they already have it determined who you have to vote for. <laughs> it's not, they don't have a necessarily a two-party system in those, those countries. Uh, they, they run things different. But a two-party system doesn't really guarantee your right to choose. It doesn't really guarantee your uh, ability of choice as to what is true and what is false. And so, uh, what is right, what is wrong. And the interesting thing about the idea of even having the right to choose, the, the right to decide what you think is good and evil, 
the mere, mere idea of that voting power, whatever you're voting on, you know, if you're voting on Australia, they have a constitution that limits their power of government. In the United States, we have a constitution that limits our power of government or the United States power of government because there's also constitutions in each individual state. And those constitutions, to some degree or another, specify what the state can do and what the state cannot do. And we have a thing in the United States Constitution called the Bill of Rights. And the Bill of Rights tells you some of the things that the United States government, including the legislature or any body that is controlling legislation, such as if you had a measure in an individual state, the people actually take on the role of legislatures. And the Constitution of the United States limits what they can legislate as law. Because Oregonians are residents of Oregon and citizens of the United States. And they've taken on the role in the last 200 years, they've taken on the role of... uh, They both choose the legislature of the United States government and they can actually legislate. Not so much on a federal level, but on a state level. And they can do it with a thing they call measures where there's a measure put in front of the people and they can vote on it, yes or no. And that measure can become law for everybody else who's a a member, a resident of Oregon. It can become law for them. And so, in that case, the Oregonians are taking on the power of legislation. Now, sidetrack a little bit, because we're talking about the kingdom of God most of the time. And and we're only talking about the kingdoms of the world and the governments of the world in order to better understand the kingdom of God. Can you vote in the kingdom of God? Do you have the power to vote in the kingdom of God? Well, actually you do, but that will need some explaining because you can't just, when I say vote, you think of voting in a democracy where 51% of the people can take away the rights of the other 49. That's generally what Americans are thinking of when they vote. They vote for a candidate who will be put into a position of power to exercise authority one over the other or their they're voting for, uh, it, like in the state of Oregon, was voting for a measure, and they were going to make this measure a law, and that law was going to be enforced on all their neighbors. And, of course, we do that all the time in America now. We do it in Australia. They do it in lots of countries all around the world because of the example that the United States has set. Originally, the United States was a republic, and in you know, America, let's say America was a republic and that there is a small R republic and capital R republic, but actually the individual states were generally speaking republics. But even within the individual states, there were many things that were called an embryonic republics in the local communities where they would have community meetings, you know, town hall meetings. Those town hall meetings are instruments of a republic. They're not instruments of the Constitution of the United States. They're not an institution of the constitutions of the individual states. 
they are institutions of uh, the community. The town hall, the community would go there and everybody would speak their mind. And the Constitution of the United States was for the United States federal government. It was a constitution to create the United States federal government. The individual states had constitutions that created the individual states. But what created the people? (laughs) The people were created by God and then procreated by their parents and inherited rights that were, you know, like rights to property, etc. And uh, they became or were the fourth branch of government. The three branches of government we think about all the time are, are the legislature and, and the judiciary and the executive branches of government in the federal government. And they have similar branches in the individual state governments. But in all cases, we have what you could call the fourth branch of government, which is the people. Now, the people can endanger their personal rights, their, their rights to assemble. Like if, if you commit a federal crime or a state crime, you can be put in jail. And now your right to assemble, freely assemble, is interfered with by those bars in front of you. <laughs> so you you still have the right to assemble. You just physically are unable to do it because somebody has imprisoned you. Because, generally speaking, because you violated somebody else's rights you know you rob somebody you you beat up somebody you injured somebody and so you became a threat to society and society has a right to defend itself from people who are are injuring you you know and injuring society they have a right to protect themselves from the people that are perpetrating injuries upon society. Now, they don't have a right to take away other people's rights in society under the pretense of protecting society as a whole. Uh, you just don't have that right. Now, where were they ever given that right? Now, in, in the Soviet Union and in China and many other countries, probably Venezuela now, uh, people have the right to take away the rights of their neighbor if they feel threatened. You know, if they feel offended, people think, well, we can take away their right to speak because their speech is offensive. So there we're, we're tying this into our, our series on freedom of speech. But what about your right to self-defense? Do you have the right to protect yourself? You know, if you go to England, they have guidelines in England what you can do to protect yourself. Somebody break into your apartment and they're they're going around pillaging and robbing in your apartment. They're burglars or whatever. And it's in the middle of the night. The advice of their government is that you stay in bed. You are not permitted to go to the kitchen and get a butcher knife. You already don't have a gun. To protect yourself and your family. And we don't know, is this guy just going to burglar? Is he going to rape your daughters and your wife and all that stuff? He has broken in and he is now taking away your sweat and toil in the form of possessions. He's taking away your life because you spent your life to obtain those possessions. He's taking it away. You don't have a right in England 
to go and defend yourself. You can actually go to jail if you decide to defend yourself. You can't even pick up a pointed umbrella to fight this guy off because they prohibit the use of weapons for self-defense. And that's amazing because once the original idea of the right to bear arms was a common law right in England, from England, that state goes back to before, you know, William the Conqueror. The right to bear arms was the responsibility to bear arms. You know, if you were poor, maybe you just get a dagger or a pitchfork. If you were wealthier, you were expected to get a sword. If you were even wealthier when they invented them, you were expected to get a gun. And you were expected, the right to bear arms was the responsibility to protect your community. You actually had to arm yourself. That's what the right to bear arms meant. It meant the responsibility to bear arms. Well, it's been a long time since anybody understood that. It's a long time since anybody ever taught that in your public schools. But, of course, your public schools are based on the idea of taking something away from your neighbors so that you can have public education. You actually have instituted in your individual states and individual countries the the right of the people to vote in levies on your property. You know, you, you had to pay $100 a year taxes on your house at one time and that helped put in roads, maybe street lights or something like that. And then you would be assessed also maybe sewage hookup and all these kinds of things. But now, if they want to add a swimming pool to the local school, they can increase the taxes on your house. And if you don't pay them, you say, well, I don't think they need a swimming pool. And so I don't want to pay for that swimming pool. And so you subtract the cost of the swimming pool from your taxes and you send that in. They will send a man to your house with a gun to force you to pay for that swimming pool they want at the public school. And if you resist, they will shoot you. (laughs) And they will take your house away, sell it to somebody else who will pay for that swimming pool and you will get nothing back in most states. You'll get nothing back. I mean, they will sell... You know, you owe $10,000 in taxes, $5,000 in taxes. They'll take your whole house away, sell it for $100,000, $200,000. They'll keep all the money. They'll just keep it all. And if you resist, they will put you in jail or shoot you. And this is the institution that has come along in America. That did not exist in America 200 years ago. They weren't doing that. To any extent whatsoever. Matter of fact, almost all the public schools were built by the people through free will offerings. And that's just a matter of history. Of course, that history is not taught in public schools anymore. Because it's in the interest of public schools to teach you that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods if you want to build a bigger and better school. You can just force your neighbor to pay into that. And that's absolutely acceptable in the law today. Uh, you don't have, 
you can you can complain about it. <laughs> you don't have much redress of grievance unless all the people get together and vote that we're not going to do that anymore. I doubt that's going to happen because most people are very satisfied with the idea of taking away from their neighbor to get what they think they ought to have. Now, of course, that's not Christian thinking. That's covetous thinking. They think that you can take from your neighbor so you can have more free stuff. That's covetous, but that's legal. In the system that you have created for yourself, that's legal in the United States, in most countries today. Because everybody's kind of followed the ways of the United States. Because they saw America so prosperous in the 1800s. Unbelievably prosperous. I mean, people were retiring at 40 and 45, wealthy from plowing the prairies with a mule, a team of mules. They were so wealthy that they could retire at 45 and finance college education for numerous people they were not even related to and still have money left over. Uh, my own grandfather did that very thing. That was astounding, the wealth that was created in America. Of course, There was no Federal Reserve in those days. There was no Social Security in those days. Your Social Security was your community and your local church. If you fell on hard times, you went there to be helped out. Today, people don't do that. Church has a completely different role in society than it had in the 1800s. When I mentioned those embryonic republics... The local churches were referred to by historians of the time and since as embryonic republics. Because when you sat in church meetings, you could question what the minister said. When you sat in town hall meetings, you could question the government. They didn't give you 30, you know, three minutes to question your county government. (laughs) You got to question them. You got to question them and you got to use whatever language you wanted to question them. If you go to our free speech page, down at the bottom we have quotes from the Supreme Court saying that you don't have to be nice to your elected representatives. You don't have to use nice language to your elected representatives. You can be offensive to your elected representatives because... You're the fourth branch of government. And that's why your freedom of speech is so important. But what we're going to talk about today, and I I actually just was still creating it as we were beginning the program, uh, another web page, dealing with the right to self-defense, dealing with the right to make laws, and dealing with false prophets. And we'll talk about that when we come back. Two keys to the kingdom. So don't go away. Be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory again, and we're talking about this idea of free speech, about law, because there are still laws in the kingdom of God. We call it the law of nature. We call it divine will. Jesus said when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. 
What will is he talking about? He's talking about divine will. And and in talking about that divine will, he is th- this idea of law of nature, divine will, the will of God. These are convertible phrases. They have been convertible phrases in the English language for centuries. And so understanding that, we also understand there is still law in the kingdom of God. And Jesus talks about that. He talks about those who, who abide in him keep his commandments, his law, which is the law of love. Well, as a summary, it's the law of love. You have to forgive that you be forgiven. That's the words of Jesus Christ. You have to love so that you are loved. Now, God loves you anyway, but the love of God, if you are the enemy of God, the love of God is like hot coals upon your head. The the scriptures tell us this. So, when we're supposed to be looking at what we have been led to believe and find out if it really is in conformity to Christ, we have to measure what we are believing by what we are doing. Not those who say they believe in Jesus, but those who do it the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? It's the will of God. Those who abide in the law of God, which is the law of nature, which is also called right reason. That's another way in which they describe this will of God is right reason. And so today, we see it all the time in the news, in the media. Reason is not a really important item in figuring out what's going on in the world today. As a matter of fact, delusion seems to be the measure of things coming out of the media. You know, like, can men have babies? And, you know, what's a woman? And, you know philosophies that don't make any sense whatsoever. And people say, well, it will take a while to unpack that, to explain it to you. And you listen to them, and they're just wandering all over the place. They're not rational people. And and the more they, you know, the fool speaks, the more his foolishness can be seen. If you are not swept up in his foolishness. Well, in Oregon, people were swept up in the foolishness of a false prophet. And so we're going to take a look at that false prophet and the foolishness which he has brought upon the people. We just set the scene a little bit in the first part of the show so that you can see it in other places when similar false prophets come along and say, oh, this is okay. Jesus said you could do this. Paul said you could do that. When he said no no such thing whatsoever. You have to misinterpret Paul in order to think that Paul is telling you you can do the opposite of what Jesus said. And I know lots of great, nice pastors and ministers of churches, whatever that means. I put quote fingers up. Churches that uh, seem real nice guys. And actually, as moral people go, they're actually pretty moral, although you'd occasionally find out that some of these ministers are molesting children on the side, and nobody could... I had no idea that he was doing that. And, of course, they had no idea, because they had no idea who Christ was, and they were not listening to the Holy Spirit, because they were not really born again, and they were not really being guided by the Holy Spirit in their own hearts and minds. Because Christ did not send the Holy Spirit just for his apostles. 
He sent them for everybody out there. But if you do contrary to the ways of Christ, the way of Christianity, because that's what Christianity was called again, is the way. If you do contrary to that, then you your eyes will be darkened. You will not see. Because you don't really love the light. You don't really love the truth. And, and and you're not really born again. I mean, if you think you're born again, which is that you see reference to, the, you can look it up at preparingyou.com, where we quote, you know, John three sixteen and being born again and all that. And you can see that there's some qualifications. That if you don't want to see the truth, if you don't love the light, if you're not a keeper of the commandments, you're not born again. You're just imagine that you're born again, just like the guy who imagines that he's a woman. Or the woman who imagines that she's a man. And that's the only way a man can have a baby is that you accept her imagination as true. That she is a man because she imagines herself to be a man and she got pregnant and she had a baby. That is the only way a man can have a baby, but it's not really a man. It is a man in a way, because a woman is a man. A woman is a man. She's just a woman, a man with a womb. And therefore, she can have a baby. But she's a woman. She's an actual woman. She can think she's something else, but she's not. That's a delusion. A dysphoria. You know, and she can... She can believe it vehemently. But she's just worshipping the image that is in her mind. She's not really a man. Not biologically a man. She's still biologically a woman. That's why she could have a baby. And so, if you want to say that a man is has nothing to do with biology, then you're redefining words. I heard... A fellow on Joe Rogan talking about this this idea of what is a woman. You know, the the guy who, Matt Walsh, who went and did the video, What is a Woman? I haven't seen the video. I've seen little bits and pieces of it. And I, I find that fascinating, you know, that what he went and did there. And so maybe someday I'll have the time or the ability to see the whole thing. But uh, the reality is, is they had the, at the tor- end of their interview, they began to argue, well, why can't two men just get married? Why can't they get married? And that's that's a whole topic in itself. It's a fascinating topic. But I had to shut it off because both of those men were ill-equipped to talk about the subject of what they call gay marriage. And we we've done some, touched on that in some shows already, but you have to be a regular listener to find all that or go to Preparing You and and do a word search and you'll probably find some of our conversation on that. But they were so ill-equipped because they lack knowledge about what it means, what what a marriage license is, what getting married means, what it has meant for thousands of years. And all the debates, some of the debates that we're seeing today actually took place at the time of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire. And so understanding that history... You may not lack so much knowledge. But the ultimate knowledge that you want is the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will guide you. Unfortunately, 
most people are not listening to the real Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. They're, they're eating from the tree of knowledge. And there are people out there pruning the tree of knowledge to allow you to see certain information, but not other information. And so you get a distorted view as to what is good and evil. Yeah, I mean, you think that, oh, public school is a good thing because everybody gets educated, right? No, everybody gets brainwashed eventually. But the really bad thing about it is that it is based on the idea that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as it's for a good cause. It's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to what you want as long as you think it is a good cause. It's a good thing. It's not evil. It's a good thing. But see, the desire to force your neighbor is an evil thing. It's a, it's a covetous practice. It's a, it's the spirit of Cain. Cain didn't just want to have a conversation in the field. He wanted to force his brother to do what he wanted to do. And his brother didn't want to do it, and so he hit his brother in the head. Or some similar conflict took place. Cain had the spirit of force. And then he went out and created a city-state that was operating on the city of for, uh, the, the concept of force. Cain's city-state was the first city of blood. And if you want to go look that up, cities of blood in, at Preparing You, because that's mentioned in the Bible. You can go, we have the whole Bible at Preparing You. You can go find out what the cities of blood. And the question that might arise is, are you a citizen of a city of blood? Are are you taking a bite out of your neighbor? If you are, we're warned in the New Testament that you not take a bite out of your neighbor, lest she be devoured. And that's one of those measuring things that we can look at. So I created a web page. I just named it during the break. <laughs> Measured. You can go to it at Preparing You. And, I mean, it's pretty rough. I just put it in. But I... It came out of the fact that I, I see things that are going on in real time in the history that we are making every day. And I'm looking in Oregon and somebody was talking to me who had insight into the measure. It's Oregon Measure 114, which supposedly changes to firearm ownership and purchase requirement initiative. That's what the name of the initiative, Changes to Firearm Ownership and Purchase Requirement Initiative. And what it will actually do is it will make hundreds of thousands of Oregonians lawbreakers by its enactment, which I think is sometime in December or something. It's, it's passed. The vote is passed. Now, I'm sure there are going to be Oregonians that are going to challenge this in the courts, and they should get an injunction on it immediately because it's a clear violation of the law. And even presenting it was a violation of the law. And it, But it's going to legally make Oregonians lawbreakers by the thousands. And people think, well, there's lots of states that have, you know, these laws on magazine size, which is what they promoted, that they you couldn't have a magazine over 10 rounds. But it actually includes shotguns. Whether you have the magazine or not, it can include shotguns. Because you can put a tube on a shotgun that allows you to add extra shells. Now, I was talking to uh, a gunsmith just the other day uh, that I happened to meet in town. And he, he was saying that, yeah, but that qualifies. 
And I says, well, you can't get 10 rounds even when you add a tube onto a pump shotgun. So how would that qualify? And he says, you, because they make mini shells, these little tiny short mini shotgun shells, which aren't very powerful. They're little tiny shells, don't have much powder. But you can get more than 10 of them in that tubular shotgun. So all of a sudden now he says, I'm going to be shut down. I can't sell all kinds of equipment because of this law. I wasn't going to retire for another 10 years, but I, you know, he has, because he's a gunsmith, he has a gun store, but he's a gunsmith. He will still have some income, but uh, he's not going to be able to make the money that he made before. But the essence of this is, this is a clear infringement on the natural right and a violation of the Second Amendment as a secondary reality of the Bill of Rights that is found in the Constitution of the United States. The Second Amendment is found in the, as a, one of the part of the Bill of Rights found in the Constitution of the United States. So they're shutting down his business. They're shutting down his livelihood so he doesn't have the right to pursue happiness in the way that he did a few days ago. And uh, he also is infringing upon people all over the United, uh, all over Oregon, and their right to bear arms, even all over the United States. Because if you come into Oregon now, <laughs> you can get into trouble because of this new law, even though you're from Kansas or someplace else. It was supposedly passed in Oregon uh, a few days ago, based on, according to the people who counted the vote, and that's the important thing. It's not who voted; it's who counts the vote. Because they're the ones who are going to put it on the legal statutes. Now, if it is unconstitutional, it's void already. But that doesn't mean that the policeman can't stop you and arrest you and put you in jail or, or fine you. I mean, it's a class A misdemeanor at minimum. It's up to the police officer. If you go into it, I mean, it's quite a few pages. If you go to section 11, subsection 5... And other sections, you see that they're they're putting a lot of things at the discretion of the law enforcement officer. And you say, well, my sheriff won't. And there's already sheriffs coming out say they won't enforce it. But we don't know who's going to be the police in six months or six years. Who's going to be your local policeman? I mean, the state troopers, they can enforce it. Uh, we know that they've defunded police all over the United States, including Oregon. And you can't buy a gun unless you get a background check. And you have to get the background check from the police. And the police have been defunded. So in 30 days, they're talking about wiping all the applicants who are applying to own a gun, wiping it away. Because there's no financial, you know, that they've instituted that you have to go to the police, to like the state troopers, to get your background check. But there's no provision to fund the state troopers to operate that program. So when they're overwhelmed, they just nobody's going to get their background check and nobody's going to buy a gun. Or nobody will be able to legally sell the gun. So, it's a real backhanded way to come about and infringe upon people's right to self-defense, which has been around for thousands upon thousands of years as a natural right, which even Christ 
advocates. If you go to the Second Amendment, it says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And people say, well, that's for the militia. I've had people tell me that all the time. That's for the militia. If you go to preparing you and you're reading along with me, I have a link there to our article on militia. You know who the militia is? In the United States, according to the United States codes, that if you're between the ages of 17 and 45, and you're able-bodied man, uh, and now we have to question as to what's a man. <laughs> but, uh, according to the ancient definition of a man, you're a member of the militia already. You didn't sign up for anything. You didn't, you, you didn't go down to your local militia board and sign up for the militia. But you're already a member of the militia. They say a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, which means all the people from the ages of 17 to 45 should arm themselves according to their right to bear arms to protect the state which they live in, whether it's the state of freedom or even the state of bondage, to protect their community from criminal elements of the world. It could be, you know, foreign or domestic. You have a responsibility to do that. This amendment interferes with that right. Now, that right was not granted when I talked about this a few weeks ago when the local sheriff referred to the right to bear arms as a privilege. No, it's a right. What the Second Amendment does is it prohibits the government from the right to infringe upon that right. It shall not be infringed. <laughs> and of course, it's absolutely reasonable. I mean, Concord and Lexington was about the fact that the king was going to go and collect guns that were used by the militia. Why they were all in that one place, it's hard to say. Of course, they weren't all in that one place because the militia all had their own guns as well. But they weren't going to have them come and confiscate those armaments. And that's how the American Revolution started. Was over the idea of infringement upon your right to defend your community. And defend yourself. And so, uh, the next section I have here is infested. Oregonians are not only ignorant of that basic idea that I just shared with you. I mean, the sheriff was certainly ignorant, referring to the right to bear arms as a privilege, like it was granted by the Second Amendment or something. That's ridiculous. That's absurd. Any first grade child should be able to understand that that's absurd. But you got guys graduating from college who don't even understand that. Guys who have gone to police academy don't understand that. <laughs> so... It's astonishing. And we've written a lot about this. But the reason I'm writing about all this is because of this ignorance, this lack of knowledge, which if if you go to Hosea uh, 4.6, my people are destroyed, destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt n- be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, that divine will, that natural law, I will forget thy children. So, people in America, people in Oregon, people in Australia, 
people in New Zealand have forgotten the fact that you were endowed by your creator with certain inalienable rights and your neighbor was endowed by his creator with certain inalienable rights and you don't have the right to conspire to take away the rights of your neighbor. You weren't given that right. Cain wasn't given that right. You were not given that right. But because the spirit of Cain in you, you think you have the right to take away the rights of your neighbor. And so... Thousands of Oregonians voted to do just that. But of course, they're accustomed to doing that already because they're absolutely willing to take away their neighbor's house if he doesn't want to buy a pool for the local school. I, I use pool. You can, you can say new books. You want to buy new books. You want to hire better teachers. You're still coveting your neighbor's good. The principle of taking away the right of your neighbor to choose to support the school or not is an inalienable right. People in in Oregon don't have that right anymore. People in Australia don't have the right to make that choice anymore. But they don't have the right to make that choice because they have judged it's okay that they covet their neighbor's goods to get what they want. They don't want a pool, but they want something. You know, they want a fire department. They want, you know, whatever. And they are willing to take away from their neighbor to get it. That's absolutely accepted in the minds of people in America and Australia and Venezuela. And Although Venezuela is having second thoughts about that now. But uh, all over the United States, all over the world. And it was accepted all over Rome. But it wasn't accepted by Jesus Christ. It wasn't accepted by Moses. Moses said you weren't to covet your neighbor's goods to get what you want. I mean, Saul was told that he, when he forced an offering of the people to support the military, he was told that he had done a foolish thing and his kingdom would fail. And so, based on that principle alone, which I call the Saul Syndrome, and you can look that up at Preparing You to see the actual technical interpretation based on the actual language of the time and what was going on at the time, that your government will not, it will fail too. It will not sustain itself. Because it's infested with the idea that it's okay to take from your neighbor to get what you want. And the most fascinating thing, not most fascinating, but one of the big fascinating things about this whole measure that was put which we're only addressing as an example because there's so many examples and this is recent and and I'm sure they're going to challenge it constitutionally but that is not the ultimate answer Uh, it's fine I don't have any objection I don't want to take away their right to challenge it obviously because I'm a minister of Christ I'm not a minister of Satan I'm not a minister of Constantine I'm a minister of Christ so I don't want to take away your rights to choose I want to show you the way back to your rights to your truths, which we call the kingdom of God, which is when you're under, when Christ really is your king, when you have no other king but Christ. That's where we want to take you back to. That's where the minister should be leading you to. But the guy who is the chief petitioner and creator of this measure to take away the right of their neighbors to defend themselves from bad guys, to defend their children, to defend their wife, 
a, a spirit that's pervasive throughout the United States, throughout the world, as we see in England. It's certainly the spirit of Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset. And it's also probably the spirit of some of the people down the street from you. They want to take away your rights. They want to take away your God-given rights. Well, the, the perpetrator and petitioner of this is a man by the name of Reverend Mark Knudsen, who is a pastor of a so-called church in Portland. Is he a pastor or is he a prophet of the beast? Is he a false prophet? Well, we'll have to take a look at that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're talking about false prophets and freedom of speech and inalienable rights and the will of God. And uh, it's very important that we step back from what we already believe and take a look at what we believe as well as what is actually happening in the world around us in relationship to what Christ said, what the early church did, what the early church would not do, and what the world wanted to do and wanted to force the early church to do. Because ultimately, the persecution of the early church was based on the idea that their private religion, their private social welfare system, their private daily ministration that was unspotted by the world. There's one of those five words translated into world. That word is defined in the, the concordance over there on my bookshelf as the constitutional order or system of government. The religion of Christians, the taking care of the needy of society, the widows and orphans and indigent and injured and infirm of society, was done through charity. Faith, hope, and charity in the way of Christ. The way the Romans did it was through forced offerings. And we know that Rome would not stand because it used forced offerings to establish all the things that it wanted to establish for its people. It didn't always do that. Originally it was a republic, but it degenerated into something else that we call an empire or indirect democracy or whatever. And it degenerated into that and it failed. And it failed because it did a foolish thing. And that foolish thing that it did was the same foolish thing that Saul did when he forced a sacrifice of the people to support his military. A good cause. But he went about it the wrong way. We go about almost everything in that way today. And we can't even imagine doing, you know, having it done through charity. We don't, we can't imagine, well, if we depended on charity to run the school, we couldn't run the school. Well, then that's probably because you're not Christians. Now, do you want to run the school or do you want to get your children educated? Do you want your children to be children with Right knowledge, with right reason, with understanding, 
Or do you want your children to not even know if they're male or female? Because it seems like you got the second and not the former. So anyway, going back to this Reverend Mark Knudsen, who was the petitioner on this measure to take away the rights of their neighbors, he he has all kinds of things that he says. But let's let's take a he's a pastor of he calls it an interfaith church, an inclusive church. He refers to himself as a social justice warrior. And the name of his church is the Augustana Lutheran Church. Uh, he, there are articles out about him and his underground railroad, which I assume is for illegal aliens coming into the country. Uh, you know, he, he, he talks about social justice. But he doesn't want to look at the harm and the injustice that he does to other people. You know, I mean, Cain, when he hit his brother on the head and took away his brother's right to life, that was not social justice. And and this Mark Newton isn't really interested in social justice either. He's... He is a blind guide. He doesn't see the harm that he causes. I mean, everybody knows that the strictest gun laws in the United States, where you have the strictest gun laws in the United States, you have the most crime. And crime goes up when you make it more and more difficult for the average citizen to own a firearm or use it. If the more you give your average citizen the right to use and own a firearm unrestrained, the more crime goes down. That's just a fact. You can see it everywhere. You can see. Now, shootings may go down, like we saw shootings go down in Australia, although mass shootings still take place. Because nobody can defend against a mass shooter. I mean, mass shootings in America take place in gun-free zones or zones where you're not li- nobody's liable to be armed and numerous times i don't know how many hundreds of people's of lives according to the cdc over 3 million acts 300 million acts uh, of possible violence and threat of violence are stopped every year because of the presence of firearms in the hands of citizens But Mark doesn't want to see that. He wants to take away that power of the average citizen to slow down crime and and injury. I mean, the example you could give, I mean, there's thousands and thousands of examples, but we'll get off topic if we look at them. But the 12-year-old girl alone at home, two burglars break in with a crowbar and a knife, and they start coming upstairs and she's all alone, and she's a skeet shooter. She pulls out a shotgun, and she stops them from coming upstairs. They think they can keep coming. She says, stop, and they don't stop, and she shoots one of them. And the other one flees. They both flee. Uh, the, one of them falls down out in the street from the shotgun blast, which was evidently fairly close because of the fact that he kept coming up the stairs. But... Mark Knudsen wants to take that right away from her to defend herself. He wants to make it difficult for them to own guns because, like I said, even shotguns are affected by this. 
because it has the potential of adding this larger round. And you're going to have to get, you know, you have to take courses now. You have to get background checks. You can only be like 18 years old, etc., etc. So it, it's definitely intended to take guns out of the hands of the average citizen. Because we know the criminals, they don't care what that law says. They're not afraid. They're going to still, you know, most of the criminals committing crimes, they stole the gun anyway. And you're not going to get rid of all of them. Crime is going to go up because of what Mark Knudsen has done. But what Mark Knudsen has done himself is a crime. And it's a double crime because he's pretending to be a minister of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say that a lot, but he he thinks he is a minister of Christ. And he does make reference to that. He's really like Ambrose. Ambrose appealed to senators of Rome to take away the rights of people who didn't think like he did. But of course, Ambrose was a minister of the Church of Constantine. And the Senate at that time, the conscripted patres, those of you who listen on a regular basis know that a conscript, conscripted patri, conscripted fathers, the fathers of the earth that Jesus talked about, call no man father. Ambrose called the Senate, addressed them as the fathers, and asked them to persecute those people saying they were Christians but we're not doing the things the way that Ambrose wanted to do them. And one of the things that Ambrose wanted to do is take large amounts of money and property as gifts from Constantine, who only had that to give away because he murdered thousands of people. But Ambrose wanted the benefit of Constantine's generosity at the, at the blood of those people that he took the property and, and silver, etc. away from. Ambrose was the beginning of the apostate church. But the reality is, and he was not, he wanted to persecute real Christians who would not do that. And this was eventually the Christian conflict, or, or was the Christian conflict even before that. Christians would not apply to Caesar for free bread. They had a daily administration, a table of which Caesar could not eat, but they themselves would not eat of the, of the table of Caesar. Reverend Mark Knudsen knows nothing of that. Yet it's right there in the gospel. It's right there in Paul. It's right there in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was not a socialist. Mark Knudsen is a socialist. He is a false prophet of Jesus Christ, a false prophet to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's just what Mark Knudsen is. and But he pretends to be a minister of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't know about the gospel of the kingdom. He's, he's interested in getting more and more benefits for legal and illegal immigrants, for people in his community. But he wants them to go to the men who exercise authority one over the other to take away from their neighbors to provide benefits for one another. They want to do it by force. They're doing the exact opposite of John the Baptist, who everybody was doing it by force by that time of John the Baptist. The Pharisees had instituted Corbin, which was a system of legal charity, instituted by forcing the sacrifices of the people. 
that signed up, only the people that signed up, they had to pay in and went into a central treasury, not not the regular government treasury, the gastrophone, but the treasury they call Corbin, with Corbin means sacrifice. In the Old Testament, it's a free will sacrifice. But in the Pharisees, they turned it into a forced sacrifice for all the people who signed up, which is the way all the modern Christians in Christianity have done. They they think it's absolutely okay to force their neighbor to contribute to what they want. And to do it by force is the opposite of what John the Baptist said. He says, no, if you have two coats, share. Do the same in meats. Well, do the same in public school. Start your own school. I mean, the public school is tax-free already. You could actually take the public school and start moving in the direction of financing everything in the public school through free will offerings. Making the parents a part of it. I know people who have private schools. You can't homeschool in Sweden. It's illegal. Uh, you can't homeschool in Germany. It's illegal. It's been illegal since Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler made it illegal in Germany. And Sweden went along with that same idea because Sweden, you know, they didn't, they weren't allies of the Germans, but they let the Germans cross over to invade Norway. They only wanted to invade Norway because they wanted to make the nuclear bomb and that's where they could get the heavy water. (laughs) So, long story. You probably know nothing of that history. But Sweden, Still, to this day, it's illegal to homeschool. So, there's a lot of private schools in Sweden. And I know a head of a private school in Sweden. And they were completely privately funded for a long, long, long time. But then the state said, oh, we'll give you some money. We'll give you... Because, we'll, we'll, I mean, you're doing this great job taking the pressure off our public schools. We'll give you some money. And, and a lot of the people said, okay, yeah, I pay taxes. I want some of that money back. Well, as soon as they did that, now the state wants to come in and regulate what you can teach the kids. They also, he discovered that the people are less involved with the school. They don't even know what's necessarily being taught. Before, when it was a private school, they were involved. And, of course, that's what's happened in America. It's taken more than 100 years. But all the public schools used to be privately funded. Now they're all publicly funded. Almost entirely publicly funded. If they want anything more, they just add it to the tax rolls. And they've also lost control. Now they're trying to get it back, you know, by firing school boards and stuff. But the problem is that they're still engaged in a covetous practice. And that will automatically have a cost to the people. Because it will degenerate the people. If the masses become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for on the property of others to provide them with their appetite for benefits, this is well known hundreds of years before Christ, that the people will institute this rule of force to take away from their neighbors. And they will degenerate as a people. And the Bible confirms that. That they will they will not see. 
they will lack knowledge. They will lack a relationship with Christ because their relationship is not based on the relationship of Christ or the relationship with John the Baptist or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's just a delusion. They say they are Christian. Just like that gal says she's a man. And so she says, well, men can have babies because I'm a man and I'm having a baby. But she's not a man. She's a woman. And she just imagines that she's a man. Just like a lot of people imagine that they're Christian. Because they say, Lord, Lord. They say they love Christ. But they're not doing what Christ said. They're doing the opposite of what Christ said. Is they're coveting their neighbor's goods. So if you want the right to self-defense, you have to have the responsibility of defending yourself against ignorance, defending yourself against poverty, defending yourself against anybody who wants to war against your right to choose. Instead, we see churches, people claiming to be churches out there taking away the rights of their neighbors. Plotting, planning, and I have to say plotting because that particular measure violated a number of rules, you know, like the single topic title. You know, that they, yeah, there's a lot of other states that have measures limiting magazine size. But that's not what this law really does. It's going to limit your access to even buy a gun of any kind, almost, in a practical sense. And, uh, but really I recommend everybody join the network because ultimately that's what we need to see is that this idea of, uh, these false prophets who want to take away the rights of the neighbors through political activism by applying to the fathers of the earth to use their exercising authority to keep people from doing what Christ even said to go out and do. He said, go out. If you don't have a sword, sell your coat and go out and get it. Now, some people want to say, oh, only one guy had to do that. No. No. All the apostles had swords. It was common knowledge. Anybody who studies history. I mean, really studies history. Not go to pastors like Mark Knudsen. Because he doesn't know the gospel of the kingdom. I mean, he's mentioned... In, in the Bible, Revelation sixteen thirteen, And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. <laughs> like Mark Knudsen, who's a false prophet. I'll, I'll let him come on the show. <laughs> And defend himself. <laughs> I don't think he'll take me up on it. But I don't usually mention names. But I have, I'm using him as an example. He's not alone. There's all kinds of really nice pastors out there who are just as much a false prophet as Mark Knudsen. I mean, they're not advocating taking away your guns. But they're advocating that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority. They're advocating that you pray to the fathers of the earth to get your daily ministration. They're not providing a daily ministration through faith, hope, and charity. They're, they're saying that it's okay to get your daily ministration, your welfare, to eat at the table that is set by men who exercise authority, who take away from your neighbor. They're saying that's okay. 
But then that woman says she's a man, too. It's a delusion. They're delusional Christians. They have a dysphoria about Christ. They're not really believers in Christ. They're false prophets. And Revelations 19.20 also mentions, uh, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophets, that wrought miracles before him. You know, wonders, secrets. With which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worship his image. Now, you're going to remember the image of the beast. There was the beast at the time of Rome. That's the beast. It was Rome. I mean, we see that all throughout prophecy that they had, you know, they had different, you know, lions and leopards and all those represented governments. We know that. And most, all theologians admit that in, you know, Daniel and all this stuff, these animal figure things are representing governments. And there was a beast at the time of Rome, time of Nero, etc. And, uh, Mark, uh, Marcus Aurelius and the rest of them. But then there was this image of the beast. The beast kind of fell away, was injured and, and, you know, the fall of the Roman Empire. The beast was injured. I mean, people throw all kinds of, we have a whole page on Mark of the Beast and we'll link to it on that page measure. You can just go to type in Mark of the Beast. But, um, people worship Rome. And like we said, you know, Caesar was called the son of God. You had to annually put money in at the temple. You had to put money in and reaffirm that you believed that Caesar was the son of God. That he was the savior of the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. But the peace of Rome included force because they forced the contributions of the people. Just like the United States does now. The United States didn't always do that. I mean, there were always some... There was tariff taxes, etc. But there was no income tax in the United States. There was no tax on your labor. That's an Egyptian thing. That's the bondage of Egypt, where you had to pay 20% of your labor belonged to the government of Pharaoh, Egypt. But in Deuteronomy, it tells you that when you write up your constitution that you should put in there that your leaders could do nothing to return you to the bondage of Egypt. And really, the United States government didn't do anything to return you to the bondage of Egypt. You did it. They set it up, FDR set it up, that you could waive a right to a portion of your labor and we will provide you with all kinds of benefits, just like... The Pharaoh said that if you waive a right to one-fifth of your labor, I will give you free grain now and get you through this famine. FDR was going to get you through the Depression. Of course, Woodrow Wilson created the Depression because he already strayed from the teachings of Jesus Christ and Moses and God and the natural law. But that's another whole subject, which we cover in great detail in, in recordings and pages and show you how that all works. But... These false prophets that received the mark of the beast and them that worship the image. Worship means to serve. They serve it with their labor. The, The people who were in bondage in Egypt were serving the Pharaoh as the son of God. As the God of their government. And they were serving. But Moses said, no, we're going to go out and serve the God of creation through a system of free will offerings 
where no but no Levite kicks in your door and forces you to contribute or takes away your property because they don't think you contributed enough. That's what Israel was until they decided to have a king. These both were cast alive into the lake of the fire burning with brimstone. Now, this is the lake of fire thing. Everybody thinks if you get the mark of the beast that you're going to be cast in to the lake of fire. No, it's the prophets of the beast <laughs> and the beast that is going to be cast into the lake of fire. Whatever symbolism that is. We we cover that in our our series on Revelation and the mark of the beast. But the, pro- the, the false prophets are also mentioned in Revelations 20.10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast... And the false prophets are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, remember, these, there's a lot of symbolism in here. And I don't want to fill in your symbolism so that you unmoor the symbolism from its meaning. And then you create all these images in your head. The point is, is Mr. Knudsen is the prophet of the beast. He is appealing to the beast to the men who exercise authority, to the fathers of the earth, to provide welfare. And he calls it social justice. But he doesn't look at the injustices that take a place because of his wantonness and covetous practices that he promotes. So anyway, with his appeal to the rulers who exercise authority one over the other, uh, he is taking away the rights of his neighbor and your neighbor, and he's getting you to take away the rights of your neighbor by voting on his measure. He's taking away their right to defend themselves and their families and their children. And in other ways, he goes against Christ actually directing his disciples to, you know, because this is all an opposite of what Christ said, who said to arm themselves. He said in Luke twenty-two thirty-six, Then said he unto them, But now he that hath a purse... Let him take it, and likewise his script. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. That's Jesus saying that. Newton saying, no, I don't want you to have the right to buy a sword, especially a two-edged sword, you know. So you can make a rule. Is that, oh, you can have a one-edged sword, but you can't have a two-edged sword. <laughs> you you can have a nine-round clip, but you can't have an 11-round clip. <laughs> the point is that he's trying to take your away your right to buy a weapon to protect your family, to protect your neighbor, to protect your society. He doesn't want you to have that right. That's not in accordance with what Christ is saying by any means whatsoever. Now, To take up the sword, to live by the sword, Christ was against that. Uh, You're not to take up the sword in anger. He already said that he was going to go with these people. You're not to be doing that. But the fact is, Newton does take up the sword because he goes to the men who use the sword to collect the money that he wants to have to give away to others. Because he doesn't live by faith, hope, and charity. He lives by force, fear, and violence. He's not a Christian. Anyway, Be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. (music) 
So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, so this Mark of the Beast that everybody's worried about is actually the reason they get you to get the Mark of the Beast is so you can get the benefits of the Beast. And if you're doing that, you're coveting your neighbor's goods because the Beast is not giving you what belongs to the Beast. He's giving you what belongs to your neighbor. And that, of course, is a covetous practice. And that will eventually make you merchandise. And deliver you back into the bondage of Egypt, back into the yoke of bondage. Which they all tell you this in the New Testament over and over again. But if you really had the mind of Christ, like First Peter four one says, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. But Mark Knudsen doesn't want to do that. He wants other people to suffer in the flesh so that he can seem to be a lover of the people. He wants to take away from the neighbor and is willing to go to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, the fathers of the earth, to ask them to use their exercising authority to take away from the neighbor so that he can have free stuff. That's his social justice warrior stance. But once infested with that spirit of force and the habit of receiving those benefits by the rule of force, he, as a perfect savage, now now wants to take guns away. He has now become a servant of demons, servant of the devil. And wants to take away the rights of others. He, he believes that he is a social, uh, that Jesus was a socialist. That Jesus was for taking care of the poor, even to the point of forcing your neighbor to contribute to the welfare of the poor and needy of your society. He's all for that. So you know that he is a prophet of the beast. He is not a prophet of Christ. He's not a reverend of Christ. He's a reverend of the devil. He's a reverend of the synagogue of Satan. He is a reverend of the Antichrist. Because he wants to take care of the needy through force. Oh, he he will say, oh, I want you to be charitable too. But uh, evidently he still believes in socialism. He, He believes in using force to take... And regulate the life of his neighbor. People in Oregon do that all over the place. They think they believe in freedom. I mean, we have, uh, you know, I, I shared on Facebook a Stossel report about people with these little truck uh, eateries. You know, one lady, she serves cupcakes. Another guy serves pizza and different people, you know, taco stands, all this stuff. And they make ordinances in their local cities that they can't park within 300 feet of another restaurant that serves the same kind of food. Well, there's limited parking in some of these cities anyway, and now that's limiting even more. Now, I can see you can't park within 50 feet. You know, you don't want to open up in their parking lot selling food. Uh, they could restrict that. But... uh 
and you don't want to open up right in front of their front door so that people can't get in and all that kind of stuff and block their signs and all that stuff. But it's clear that the ordinance is made to take away the right of competition. The same as public education. There's all kinds of student, uh, the, the teachers associations are trying to pass all kinds of laws that make homeschooling difficult. Home protection is now difficult thanks to Reverend Newsom in Oregon. It's more difficult to protect your home because of what Mark Newsom is trying to do by going to the men who exercise authority and say, please take away the rights of my neighbor so that I will pretend to be more safe or more virtuous, even though he's going to cause more violence, same as defunding the police. It's going to cause more violence. But he is just ignorant of the gospel. But so are a lot of the other ministers out there are ignorant of the gospel. As if, as I've been laying it out for you so you can see. And we have all kinds of links. I'm going to put even more links. I put half a dozen links on the, on the page measured. And I, I named it measured because I'm measuring who is the prophet of the beast and who is the prophets of Christ? Who is the ministers of the beast? And who is the ministers of Christ? And there's an awful lot of people going out there to churches. And hopefully, you know, once I get this all organized, I'll, I'll send it out to all the people who are going to be fighting this amendment or this measure. But this is what you see all the time in Congress and in the Senate now. They're trying to get, they want more Republicans in the Senate. And more Republicans in the Congress. Gain control of the House. And then we'll have Republicans in there. Republicans, you know, actually Stossel said it. Uh, I don't want to keep quoting him. I don't believe in everything he says. But he does say some interesting things. But he says they, they, the Republicans are now winning control. So we will go broke slower. <laughs> well, we already are broke. You know, I mean... Uh, Karl Schwab is not a prophet. He's a historian. He's saying, what he really should be saying is that you already don't own anything. You don't own your labor. They can take 30%, 40%, 50% away from your labor. They can just keep graduating income tax, just get it worse and worse. Uh, so you don't own your labor. Uh, you, you don't own your house. You know, if you, if you stop paying rent on it, which is what you call property tax, your use tax, the, the tax you have to pay if you want to keep using your house, because you only own the use of your house, and you only own that legally regulated by the government. So they can take away your house. That, they, they couldn't do that originally in America. They can do it now, because you don't know your history. You lack knowledge. But the reason you lack informational knowledge is because you lack the knowledge of Christ. The knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of God, the will of God was to create a society that operated on faith, hope, and charity. For 400 years, Israel beat all comers. And they depended on free will offerings. Now they screwed up from time to time and that got some press in the, uh, in the Bible. But if you read it, understanding the gospel of the kingdom, which was the way of Moses and the way of Jesus Christ. They were in agreement. The way of Elijah. They were in agreement. They they didn't do away with that agreement with the law of God. 
that we should not covet our neighbor's goods, that we should should not oppress the stranger in our midst. We should not try to take away from our neighbor because we want more free stuff. I mean, that's just basic in Christianity. It's basic in Judaism. Jews don't do it now. Christians don't do it now. It, it was basic to some degree even in the Muslim religion. certainly was basic at one time in the Buddhist religion. You were to do no harm. But they do harm now. And they feel virtuous because they call evil good. Newton calls evil good. My power to take away your right to defend your wife and your children and your neighborhood. My power to take away that natural right of self-defense is good. (laughs) No, it's not good, Mark. It's bad. It's iniquity. It's a sin. (laughs) You're an evil, evil minister. But you could repent. And I, I, I'm only telling you this in hopes that you repent. I'm, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just letting you know you're offending God. Because you're a prophet of the beast. And you're advocating the free bread of Rome instead of the free bread of Christ. You're advocating the table of the temples of Rome. You're not advocating the temples that Paul talks and the table that Paul talks about. See, we're we're the stones of the temple. We're supposed to provide for one another in pure religion. Pure religion is unspotted by the constitutional order and system of government. You don't do that, Mark. You don't do that. A lot of other ministers out there, if the if the collar fits, wear it. <laughs> He has a Roman collar. There's a picture floating around of me. Uh, what people think is that I'm wearing some kind of a Roman white collar. I I do not. That was the cameraman. Uh, I had He wanted me to wear a black t-shirt because he said it looked more ministerial. So I put a black t-shirt on. I had one in those days. And, and he pulled my white t-shirt on that I put over <laughs> that I put it over. He pulled it up a little bit so it would show in the picture. Well, the picture is still floating around. But I, no, I don't wear a Roman collar. So, uh, I do still have a black t-shirt, but, uh, uh, it has words written on it, which we won't go into right now. That's another funny, maybe we'll talk about that in the afternoon show. But the legal definition of the church, in its most general sense, because the government can't define the church because they're prohibited in, in the Second Amendment <laughs> to define, well, actually, actually in the First Amendment, uh, they're prohibited uh, to, they can't define the church. Christ defines the church. And the church, but the legal dictionary makes an attempt. The church in its most general sense is the religious society founded and established by Jesus Christ to receive, preserve, and propagate his doctrines and ordinances. Well, one of the ordinances of Christ is that we're to love our neighbor as ourself, and that would also interpret we should not covet our neighbor's goods, and that would also interpret as to we shouldn't be going to men who exercise authority one over the other to take away from our neighbor in a covetous practice of forcing the contributions of our neighbor. Newton doesn't care about that. Poor old Mark. He doesn't even understand the simplest doctrine of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, he has lots of company. 
Lots of other ministers that people are going to. And all these people are going to want to get their gun rights back. Their their natural gun right to self-defense back. They need to take a hard look at the doctrines of the ministers of the churches they go to. And the problem is the church that most people go to, the real church, the public religion that most people practice is socialism. Through social security, Medicare, Medicaid, all these government programs, that's public religion. Christians were forced to sign up or die to the public religion of Rome. If they didn't sign up and get their little ID stone, their little tessera, they might die because, I mean, that's what happened to thousands of Christians in Rome under Claudius. We see it there in the Bible. Thousands, 14,000 families, it appears, were forced to leave Rome or sign up for the Roman social welfare system. They left. Because, and they could force them to leave because they weren't, by nature, citizens of Rome. Romans could say they just didn't go down and take those benefits. And those are the ones that Paul is writing. If you don't understand why Paul is writing Romans in Rome instead of Jews in Rome, you probably don't understand the gospel of the kingdom. We show you that. But that definition of the church goes on to say it's a body or community of Christians. Now, we're talking real Christians, not just people who say they're Christians or imagine they're Christians. Just like people who imagine they're men or imagine that they're women and they're actually the reverse. We're talking about real Christians who actually care about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves. They care about their neighbor's God-given rights as much as they care about their own. And they're actually willing to sacrifice through charity, not through force, to help take care of their community. And community means they have a common communion. And that communion is all those benefits you get. You you know, I had a friend in Colorado. I still hope he's my friend. <laughs> he, he's not a part of the network now. He should be. But uh, he wanted to help all the people in Colorado who were being cut out of the woods because they were closing roads. He was even willing to go to jail to defend their right to travel down these roads that had been there for years and years. And they had a right. They just didn't know how to go about obtaining that right. And one of the reasons why is because all those off-roaders who wanted to go with their four-wheelers up those Colorado roads in the forest were sending their kids to public school during the week. And I said, I don't really want to spend a lot of time helping sinners get to their sin on time (laughs) by using these roads. I don't want. I don't want to help them do that. It, it's it's getting to the point where you either have to repent of seeking the the benefits of Caesar through the exercise of authority one over the other, and instead seek the righteousness of God, which is a system, a community that operates by faith, hope, and charity. Because the, the dividing line is getting more and more distinct. And, of course, that's what Christ said. He was come to bring a sword, a division, to show you. No, you can't covet your neighbor's goods to men who exercise authority and still call yourself a follower of Christ. 
You just can't do it. You can't call yourself a minister of Christ when you're promoting the beast system that takes away from your neighbor to provide your neighbor with yourself with free stuff. You can't. You can't do it. You're going to have to make a decision as to whether you're going to go the way of Christ, the way of Moses, the way of righteousness of God, or you're going to go the way of unrighteousness and covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority. You're going to have to make that decision. Now, I admit fully that the Christian community is in a bad state of affairs because they're not. There are some free, private Christian schools and stuff like that, but a lot of them aren't preaching what I'm telling you. But if you were to start to come together, it would not take very long and and come together in the way that Christ commanded his disciples, which I don't even think poor Mark even has an idea of. If you came together like Christ commanded, it would be short order and you would not only have the connection that could withstand the beast, but you would have a connection that would... I quoted Revelation three times. In one of those quotes, you need to read the quote before it (laughs) to know where your protection is really going to come from. And even if you read it, you may not catch it. I've told people, but I'm not going to tell you now. You You need to have that power of God between you and Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset and the minions of the earth and all the demons that are here teaching people a false Christianity as false prophets. But you're only going to get that. You know, it tells you in Samuel 8 that if you decide to have a king to exercise authority one over the other, and he's going to end up taking and taking and taking and taking and taking. And of course we see that with the foolishness of Saul where he decides to force the sacrifice and that was the beginning of the taking and taking and taking. But God was telling you where it's going to go. And of course it eventually went that way and they all went into bondage. But you've gone into the same bondage because of the desire to take and take and take and take from your neighbor so that you can have free and freer freer stuff. But it's not free. It's going to cost you. And unless you repent of that idea and go the other way, you're not going to have that body or community of Christians that are united under one form of government. See, the church is defined as a form of government. And the kind of church I'm talking about is those embryonic republics that they talked about in early America, which was every church. It was an embryonic republic. I mean, a real republic, not an indirect democracy. It was a real republic. And if you organized your church the way they were supposed to be doing, they were getting away from it, so you have to know what you're looking at. We've got whole books free that you can read to find that out. But basically, you just have to stop coveting your neighbor's goods. You have to start caring about your neighbor's rights as much. Because at the end of that long list in Samuel 8, you can read it for yourself. That you're going to cry out and say, Oh my gosh, they're taking and taking too much. We need to vote in a Republican. He won't take as much. You will go broke slower, as Stossel says. <laughs> no. No, you have to repent and think differently. That you can't be taking from your neighbor at all by force. And and if you cry out all you want, you're, God's not going to hear you. He's not going to do with that revelation quote that I didn't quote. I was going to put in there, but I decided to leave out. So that you have to actually go and look it up. And then you may need it explained, which we do. 
But you're going to have to care about your neighbors because God's not going to hear your cries. You're going to cry out, but he, he says, I'm not going to hear you in that day. Why? Because you haven't heard your neighbor. You didn't care about your neighbor's rights. You didn't actively lay down your life for your fellow man. You were absolutely content, like Mark, to lay your fellow man's life down to take care of his multi-faith congregation or whatever it is, his underground railroad and all this stuff. Now, I know all about underground railroads. My grandfather was kicked out of the Quaker church. Great-great-grandfather was kicked out of the Quaker church because he was smuggling slaves in the underground railroad. But that's not what Mr. Knudsen's doing. Mr. Knudsen is leading, under the guise of virtue, he's leading the people back farther and farther into the bondage of Egypt and farther and farther away from Christ. And he's not alone. What churches do not promote government welfare? What churches provide for the needy of their society through a communion of faith, hope, and charity like the early Christians did? Not many. Uh, and that's why the church is not one form of government. I mean, technically, according to the law, uh, you know, 30 years ago, Knudsen should have his 501c3 status stripped away from him because he's not a church established by Jesus Christ, so he's not mandatorily accepted. He's a political action committee. Hey, he should He should have that status stripped away from him. He can't be. He is the moving factor in creating law in the United States amongst the men who exercise authority. We need the law of Christ written in our hearts and our minds. And that's going to require some repenting because we've been doing it the wrong way for a long time in America. So long that we've forgotten what it really means to be a Christian. But we'll be showing you that on a regular basis here. And uh, teaching you that. So, that term church may be used in several senses, but in its most general sense, it's this body of believers who live by faith, hope, and charity. And have a daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity. And if you had that, you would have a network already in place. Just like the early Americans, when they had to you know, defend their uh, communities from the unwarranted usurpations of foreign troops. I mean, George had to get foreign troops to come and shoot Americans because Americans weren't going to do it. And were not reliably, they weren't going to shoot each other. English were close enough, they, they didn't want to do it. So they had to bring in foreign troops, troops from another government. But it was okay, because there were a lot of Christians, real Christians. They weren't all real Christians, but there were a lot of real Christians that had a daily ministration that took care of all the social welfare of their communities in a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands. And because they had that, they were able to defeat those foreign troops when they came. Americans don't have that anymore. If you go to Bovier's Law Dictionary, which was the dictionary back in the days, you know, it's architectonic in its relationship to the Constitution of the United States. The church 
In a moral and spiritual sense, this word signifies a society of persons who profess the Christian religion. Well, the Christian religion was, religion when that was stated, defined in the same dictionary, was the pious performance of a duty to God and your fellow man. In other words, Christians were those who were taking care of the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity. Modern Christians do it through legal charity, which Christ forbid. And that's why the modern Christian has gone back into the bondage of Egypt. And so you want to say, I want, I don't mind being in the bondage of Egypt and getting all this free stuff. I just don't want to be hit so often by my taskmasters. You can't have it both ways. You're going to have to leave Egypt, but you're not ready yet. You're going to have to go through some plagues. So anyway, that's where we're at. We'll talk more about that this afternoon in the afternoon show. But join us at preparingyou.com. Join the network. Become a part of the Living Network. Find out what Christianity was really all about. And until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.